So, you got that costume ready for Halloween? Actually, going all out this year. Gonna be out in my birthday suit. Nice. Welcome to Gay Talk 2.0, the ultimate podcast for your dose of dish. Greetings and salutations to all my queers out there in the world, and welcome to another episode of Gay Talk 2.0, an LGBT podcast streaming live on Digital Stream Radio, where you can access that live stream every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can do so by visiting digitalstreamradio.com. My name is Tom, and as always, I'm in the studio with someone, but I'm here with one of my co-hosts. Tell us who you are. Hi, J-Bear, a.k.a. your boyfriend's boyfriend. I'm going to have to talk about, yeah, I'm going to talk to my boyfriend <laughs> boyfriend and be like, we, we got problems. <laughs> we can't be sharing like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're wondering where Trish is, she has the night off. Trish has an opening of a show. I thought she said something about My Fair Lady or something like yes. that. Yes. Te- technically, it's not off then. <laughs> no, she, well, she's got the night off from the show, but she is working at the theater. So she won't be able to join us on tonight's show. But we will try to be somewhat, you know, entertaining for the next hour. So stick with us. You know, just never know what's going to happen. It's a quickie. It's just an hour. Oh, yeah. Just stick it in in and (laughs) out. One hour quickie. In and out. So, uh, Jay Bear, how are you, my friend? Good, good. Good. Uh, Not bad. Um, Good weekend. Uh, We celebrated our wedding anniversary on Saturday. Nice. But you also went Um, to a wedding, didn't you? And we went to a wedding. This has been the weirdest year. Can, Can I ask you, like... Don't you like go bankrupt going to all these weddings? Because how many weddings um, has it been? Four? Five? Closer to six, I think. Wasn't one of them a, dest- a destination wedding? Yes. So we had a wedding on her birthday in February. We had a, a wedding in July for my nephew. We had a wedding, well, two weddings in July. Uh-huh. One on my birthday, then her nephew's. Uh, one on your my, anniversary. Yeah, one on my anniversary. My cousin got married as well in New York. Uh Five or six? Uh, I'm missing one somewhere in there, but yeah, quite a few. Wow, that's a lot of weddings. A lot of weddings. A lot of weddings, a lot of gifts. And I just got my first baby shower in in the mail. Oh, Lord have mercy. (laughs) It's nonstop sometimes. But I mean... It's fun. It's all fun. I, I, you know, I I don't like weddings. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I've said this on the show before. Like, I've only been to like one wedding and that was my best friend Jack's wedding because, you know, she got married and I was her man of honor. I mean, I can understand So you participated. Why. You so, did. Well, I had no choice, man. She yeah. put me down, you know, it, it, I, I took my entire apartment when we lived in New Haven and I turned it into Wedding Central. Yeah. So one of my walls had, you know, maps and sticky notes of seating arrangements and, you know, as with a lot of Latino yeah. families, you always have to keep in mind that, you know warring factions and blah 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 <laughs> yeah. so, oh these two are arguing this week okay well we're gonna sit here and table number <laughs> over here and oh these two don't get along well let's put her way down here and vice versa and and so yeah we had i think it was a total of 12 tables um nice. with i think it was eight or nine it sat like that's each table sat eight or nine people um so it was a fairly sizable wedding yeah and instead of naming table like table one, two, or three, we ended up like I came up with these little like um, plaques? Um, not plaques, but Signs. like picture frames. There were like five by seven picture yeah. frames and each of them had a name. And so the table, instead of being table one, would be the table of love or the table of friendship nice. or the queers or yeah. you would say, <laughs> nice. you know, and, and there was a phrase and it started the fundamentals of love uh, of a successful marriage are love honesty um you know oh, so nice. you had yeah, all yeah. these different like types of tables and we thought it was cute and then we went to um i think it was uh, at the time what do you call it? old navy yeah because you know they always sold cheap flip-flops and yep. so we got dancing shoes so we got every pair of flip-flops you could imagine in every size so i think it was like size between size six and nine and ten yeah and then I created these cute little like um like 
you know, plaques or like made out of cardboard paper and, and, and we would tie them and say size nine dancing shoes, right? So that people can kick off their heels and blah, whatnot. Oh, and nice. by the end of the wedding, everybody was in flip flops yeah. and then you can take them home. With <laughs> like, them. That was nice. So yeah. and we put a basket, a little right giveaway. In, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right cool. in front. And yeah. it was fun. We had a good time, but yeah, I just, my friends know, don't invite, don't invite me to weddings. I don't come. That's <laughs> like, yeah, I get no, the RSVP yeah. like, um, declined. You know, we we went. Um, it, it was fun actually because this was very non-traditional, which was great in the sense um, of every sense. Uh, black dress. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, no tuxedos. Um, basically a biker wedding. So. Oh yeah. Oh, so that's right <laughs> up your alley. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. So it was it was nice. Um, the cake. Uh, the bride made her own cake. Um, her father put. Um, it was like the the cake topper was right. a motorcycle uh, made out of wood, and it's like a puzzle. So it, it has like a thousand somewhat pieces, and he had to intricately put one by one on to create a model of a motorcycle uh, huh. made out of wood. Beautiful, beautiful motorcycle. I mean, I'm sure it took him hours. To, oh, to I put mean, together to put together did yeah. he make it by hand uh, i think it's a kit that comes in gotcha. in you know like flat panels and then you got to pop every pop piece every, off right. and and put it together but it was it i mean it's intricate like everything's detailed on it so that's amazing yeah yeah so it was nice it was huh. a, a nice cake topper i kind of became an impromptu photographer um which is usually the, the case, the case uh, us queer people whether you're bisexual gay <laughs> yeah. transgender no matter what it is you go to an event either you're you're the entertainment yep or you're somehow end up taking <laughs> the, pictures so, or, or, or responsible for or, yeah, yeah. yeah. so to the gays yeah so we, we we had a good time we had a good time we a lot of drinking, a lot of hanging out. Mm-hmm. Everybody was really cool. We had a, a great time. There was about, and then to boot, it wasn't at a specific place. It wasn't a hall. It wasn't, we all went camping. And then the campground where they stay at is, uh, I guess the owners are also bikers. So it's biker owned. And, and so they don't have all these restrictions like every other campground. You could carry your alcohol with you. You could drink, right. and, you know, openly. Um, you know, so you don't have all these crazy restrictions in place, which right. is kind of cool. So you can actually enjoy, you don't have to worry about, oh, they're coming, you know, in most places you're hiding the beer or putting it in a cup or, right. um, that's really nice. And, and they have rooms in the air in, in, in the campground. So you can rent the room if you don't want to tent it. So we yeah, all, rent, we all rented it. rooms and that is <laughs> not, not for you. Yeah. So doesn't it doesn't have yeah. running water and a toilet. Yeah. No, it's not happening. Yeah, but it was fun. It was fun. We had a good good time. We en- enjoyed our time together, you know? So all in all a good do. weekend, yeah. Yeah. Mine was pretty nonchalant. It was <laughs> quiet. Quiet. Um everything is decomposing outside because it's starting to get colder. Oh. So I just started, for example, taking my um my shrubs and stuff then you know and just started you know shaping them up cleaning them up getting rid of all the dead stuff i'm cutting off everything for example from like my daylilies yeah. all the dead stuff and you know i got um, a few to do at home i have um what do you call those the peonies right and so uh, they yeah, bloom the in the peon- spring yeah and then they're gone right and so the bush stays green but then you know at the end of the fall it just starts getting dying, brown so and weathering yeah i just cut everything and started mine's bagging. still green so i'm waiting for it to get a little yeah, browner, browner. I was like, i'm not gonna wait and, and my hibiscus plants are huge and and they they just like last week gave out a couple flowers so right. now they're ready to cut that yeah. i brought my tree and inside I so i did start today, bringing, yeah. yeah bringing started bringing some stuff in so you know it is what it is it is yeah. what it is so um before we jump into some of the things that we have uh, lined up for you um we're gonna talk about um today specifically about um you know queer ownership and how we build uh capital and yes and um you know in, in a sense um build equity in our community and how, how that reflects and in the services that we receive in some of the centers and things that are available, but we're definitely going to jump into that. But I wanted to quickly just, you know, um, do something a little fun and, and talk a little bit about the shit that's living in our heads for free, you know, right free <laughs> yeah. in our heads. Um, and we were having an off camera conversation about this. Like, you know, the things that, you know, we see that just, you know, 
hang around L- for no apparent free, reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for you, you had mentioned something about um, a video that caught your eye. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about that. So, I, you know, scrolling through the uh, Facebooks. <laughs> right. Um, and a video pops up about an, uh, a, a prominent um, drag, drag queen, queen right. in New York City during the 80s. AIDS pandemic and, and all this stuff. So I'm like, oh, this seems interesting. Let me take a peek. And then, of course, the headline, uh, which is basically the the go-to on it. What was it? <laughs> Let me see if I pull it up. Sorry, I should have pulled it up. That's all right. Yeah. But the headline was what caught my, my attention. And I was like, uh, where are we going with this? Um, of course, I can't find it as soon as I want it, like always. You literally sent me the link. Yeah, so I know. Where did maybe. I, oh, on the other. So the headline read, how police identified a mummy found in a drag queen's closet. Right. A literal mummy. A so. literal mummy. So tell, <laughs> so, us, tell us what's what's going on there. So apparently. Um, and come on into that. Yeah, link, in, in the early 80s uh, when drag was, you know. Big thing. So for all, those of us well, who watched, still yeah, a big still thing, a big but thing. When ballroom was big. when ballroom was big, right. uh, so it kind of. Uh, so uh, for those of us who have watched Pose, right, have seen the have seen the scene of of uh, when when um, I think it was Electra. Electra. That what was it? The guy dies in her room, right? Right. During, so this is similar to it. So I guess they use this as. As an inspiration, an inspiration for, for that scene. So in in pose, of course, you know the guy dies. Electra freaks out, and she doesn't know what to do. And they end up putting him in a suitcase and hiding him in a closet. Well, <laughs> you know, and you're looking at it and you're like, "That's wild." Well, here's the actual story, right? You know, so basically, the way it it uh, occurred from what the article is stating is that uh, what's her name, Doreen? Sorry. Doreen Quarry or something like that? Yeah, Dorian Quarry was the drag queen. um, Had a lover that apparently they used to drink and have fistfights or get into arguments. And apparently during one of those arguments uh, back in the, uh, I think it was late 70s. Right. She got into a fight with him and she ended up shooting the guy and killing him. And of course you're, you know, drag queen back in the days they weren't gonna look at it in, in in a good light especially for someone living the lifestyle so instead of reporting it she hid the body in her closet literally like literally. she had a dead body in her, <laughs> in her closet. closet how long did that body stay in that closet they're, they're saying the body was there about 25 years she died in the 90s no right. i think it was late 90, 80s no late, she died in 93 83 93 yeah right. um and someone went in i guess one of her um one of the persons that lived with her or someone, the thing is someone went in to clean out the apartment. Right. And they go into the closet and, you know, they say you open the door and it kind of smelled weird and they're going through stuff and emptying it out and they find a suitcase and they drag it out. And when they open it, they find a body. Interestingly. <laughs> 25 plus years. Like literally, she literally had skeletons in or like one skeleton, one skeleton in, her, in closet. her closet for 20, right. yeah, almost three decades. <laughs> You know what baffles me? Because we know what happens, right? So they find the body. Obviously, she's already dead, the drag queen. So they can't, you know, investigate and say, okay, you murdered this person or what happened. They can't really do anything as mm-hmm. far as pressing charges against someone who's already dead. You yeah, know, she exactly. passed away. She died of AIDS so, um, or, or complications from AIDS. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know, was never charged. Never charged. But she was a prominent figure in right. in. in the industry. I mean, she she came out in TV shows. She came out in several movies. Right. She was or documentaries. Uh, Paris is burning. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, you see, you know, the the life that she lived. Everyone that knew her was right. like, "What the hell just happened?" Like, you what know, you fuck? know what what what's interesting to me though is like, okay, so the body, the person gets shot. Obviously, he dies. Ends up in a closet gotta start decomposing and smelling like what do people like wouldn't someone smell that and be like what is that like that's the thing i I mean mean, and you know when you live with people who are your chosen family you'd be like whatever you don't go in my room you know that's my space respect my space (laughs) but But shit that the funk 
I can only, I'm like, how, how that's, that's, I mean, that's what still baffles me again. And at what point does it stop smelling? Like (laughs) how many years in does it stop smelling? That that can't be good. I mean, and even, and when you look at the video, because I was looking at videos, the the body's is is dead and decomposed, but it's not a skeleton. There's still like skin. Right. That's how they were able to identify it. So it's interesting because they're saying, you know, they had, it had no ID. Right. There was no information whatsoever in the house, in the apartment, and nothing. There was absolutely nothing. Other than his other, body in a suitcase. Other, yeah, that's it. And then you so listen to- what did to, they do to identify <laughs> yeah, that, the body? That was the, that's what I thought it was interesting, right? So they, uh, which apparently is a common practice, which- Right, and forensics. Yeah, mm-hmm. forensics. They removed all 10 fingers from mm-hmm. the body. And they rehydrate them with this formula they put together. I think it was water, water and, and, um, and some chemicals they they use. They did something. Yeah. I remember and then they, they heat right. it up and then they dip all the fingers in it to help um, hydrate the dried out skin. Right. And then they inject it with the liquids to kind of form the finger again. Right. And then once it's hydrated enough, they just pull fingerprints right off of it. Right. And that's how they were able that's to identify they were, who, the person, who was. the person was. So apparently, clearly they had a record. This person yeah. had served time in jail. Yep. Yep. So they found one brother. Um, they reached out to him. He said, yeah, he disappeared 25 years ago. That was it. He didn't even claim the body. Wow. So, so he's, uh, 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 what was the, I forgot his name too, but they buried, they ended up burying the body at, uh, uh um, Baker's field. Parkersfield. I don't know. Is was that like um, um, Heart Island? Heart Island, yeah. So they buried it there because it's unclaimed. Right. So basically, yeah, uh, everybody that dies in New York that's unclaimed ends up there. Right. So, so, so nobody you, claimed the body. And <laughs> if you don't know the history of Heart Island, um, during you know the the onslaught of of people dying from HIV. Um, at, at a time when no one wanted to visit you at a hospital, nobody wanted to claim you as a child because either they were embarrassed or ashamed. Um, people who died were buried, mass burials on yeah. Heart Island um, with no no markers, no nothing. It's no, just, it's a just huge, numbered. Yeah, but, right. It's almost the same thing they did during the pandemics. Um, Pottersfield, I'm sorry. Pottersfield right. is the name of the cemetery. It's the same thing they did during the pandemic. People... You know, we're so afraid they just numbered the caskets and do a mass burial. They just dig one giant hole and right. line them up right. and bury them. And it's the same same thing that they were doing back then as well. Um, <clears throat> so it was, yeah, it was it was kind of crazy to to see this article. That's interesting though. So so that lived in in your head all day today. Yeah, I was bugging <laughs> like all day. I was like, we got to talk about this. I don't know. I guess it's probably the Halloween, you know, Halloween's in the air and you're like, you're Mm. looking at at stuff, you know, scary stuff online and you're looking at stupid stuff that comes up. And then of course you read about a death and I'm like, okay, now what's going on here? Right. right. You know, and especially the way they put the headline, I was like, okay. (laughs) So that's pretty interesting. It's pretty crazy, but you know, yeah. Shit they happens. Mu- and then, yeah, they, they didn't put a dead body. They put a mummy. They and put I, a mummy right. in a closet, right? And, and you're over, like, okay. I'm over I, here joking, like yeah. saying, you know, I have all this land in the back of my house and, you know, <laughs> yeah, keep messing with me. I'll bury, I'm bury you in the back there. Find you. I, I don't mean that. I'm just <laughs> saying. I'm just saying. Just, you know, just putting yeah. that out there. Wow. So yeah, it, was, um, it was interesting. So it's, um, it's a quick uh, inside edition did a full report on it. That's that's the uh, video I actually ended up watching. Um, it's pretty interesting. It's a lot of a lot of information on that. Wow, wow, that's all I can say. Yeah. It's like a little, <laughs> literal skeleton in her closet. So, um, well, being that we're talking about stuff that's living in our head, um, when you get lost in the sauce, you go on Facebook, you go on Instagram, you go on all these reels, right? Yep. And you start seeing all these videos. Well, lately, I uh, as of late, I've been seeing a lot of videos with this guy. Um, and, and if you've heard this question, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm just playing you a clip. How much do you pay for rent in New York? $2,950. Can I tour your apartment right now? How much do you pay for rent in New York? Okay, so... Can we talk about that a little bit? So this little random guy, Ranzo, comes (laughs) up to you and says, 
how much do you pay rent in New York City? And you answer the question. And then he says, can I tour your apartment? Arendo. So the video that I did, just, you know, the little clip that you just heard there, he's actually asking a guy. But this man has a lot of videos asking women. Yeah. um, Can I tour your apartment? Right. And they're like, yeah, sure. That is how that that's how you end up with some Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> shit. shit. Yeah. Like, um, and then he'll go in. And so one of the videos that I watch is interesting because he'll he's like, Can I tour your apartment? And the girl's like, ah, sure. sure. And then you see them walking in, and this is my bed, and this is, you know, oh, oh wow, you you know, this is three thousand dollars, and yeah. you know, everything is so clean and so organized. Yeah, I wasn't ready for have visitors, but whatever. And then he's like, Oh, you got exercise equipment and a yoga mat. And they start doing yoga. Next thing you know, his shirt is off and and they're in the mirror and flexing. And I'm like, okay, this is fucking weird. Yeah. Like this rando person. <clears throat> how oh. many of it is actually rando though? You know how sometimes they set shit up? Uh, well, right. But they, there's so many of these videos and it's yeah. all the same guy. So I'm ah. sure that he's got to have some sort of thing. But my thing is, is that is some, that that's how you end up in some Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> in situation. In somebody's closet? Right. Um, <laughs> For 25 years? Yeah. Like, so, seriously, um, but, but the thing is, so th- obviously these are straight women and clearly straight guys showing off their pads in yeah. New York City. Can you imagine how that would go with a gay guy? <laughs> Ooh, especially shirt, if the, came, shirt came off? Especially, especially if the rando is is hot, right? Like, you don't care this person could be a freaking, you know, serial killer, whatever. Comes up to you, how much do you pay rent in New York City? And you're like, I spent, you know, I, I pay $5,000 a year. I was like, first thing he's going to think is like, damn, this motherfucker got money. That's one. And then he says, can I tour your apartment? And the first thing you think, like, yes, daddy. Like, <laughs> yeah. I could totally see it. And then, of course, you know, you end up in the apartment, and then you don't get none, you get mad. Or you might end up getting lucky, and, you know. But that, that that's probably how we would think. Like, hmm, we would size <laughs> you up from top to bottom and be like... What I said that what I said there was like I think he's got a big one, which is really not important. But you know that's just shit that we it's shit that lives in my head for free. Um, No, you know it pays no rent, whatever. It's just you know like the cousin that just comes over, you know, stops by unannounced and says, hey, let me crash on your couch. That kind of shit. <laughs> but that is yeah. some freaky shit because, I mean, that's how you end up in situations that, you know, could put you in danger. And it's like, and then you start thinking, okay, this has got to be um, made up or staged, like you said. Yeah, yeah. But what if it's real? And I'm like, are that many people that? Yeah, how many How many could you actually stage? Right. So, but no, just imagine if they weren't staged, right? Like, are there that many people eager and, and, and hungry for attention and five minutes of fame that you would allow a total stranger uh, to come into your apartment? Well, into you, also, your space? Yeah, you also got to remember if he's a YouTuber or a streamer. Right then people already know of this guy, right? Right. I mean, so, yes. So most people will probably, there's one, there's this one guy that I watch on YouTube and white boy, geeky looking white boy, but he's multilingual. This guy Is speaks, this the one that like goes to like different restaurants and starts yeah, talking? Yeah, starts their ordering name. their right. language. Right. In their languages. And, and the kid meets people everywhere he goes. You know what right. I mean? So, so he has a big following. And in some places, they automatically recognize them. Right. Which is right. where I'm headed with that, you know? Yeah. So you make enough videos, you have enough of a following, people tend to be like, oh, this is popping up right. on my feed because it's popular in my area. And you can't miss these videos. So no. you would know. And the thing is, so you barely see the guy. Yeah. He's actually very cute. When when I saw him in, in the reflection in the mirror, yeah. I was like, mm, that body, yeah. you Yes, you can come into my apartment. <laughs> yes, please. So that's what I'm saying, um, you know? So you, you have that. You have that, right. and then, of course, you know, perception. How do you look? But I how mean, many times have we read, you know, about celebrities? Exactly. Case in point, yeah. look at this person. Yeah. You would have never thought that this very prominent person in, in the ballroom community had a freaking mummy in her fucking closet <laughs> for 25 years. You just don't know. Exactly. And, like, so I, I keep thinking to myself, like, I'm watching this video. I'm like, yo, this is some, this is how Jeffrey Dahmer got to do what he did. <laughs> Pretty much. Right? Like, yeah. he would come and sweet talk you and say, oh, you're beautiful and blah, blah, blah. I got a place right down the road. And, you know, before you know it, it's like, yep. uh, you're gone. You're gone. Right? Yeah. Um, 
and speaking, you know, so, so anyway, that, that's what's been living in my head all day and all week because I've been, every time I go into one of these, you know, rabbit holes of reels and videos, um, I, I, I run into one of this guy's videos. Thank you, Vine, for starting this stupid trend. <laughs> Because it, start, it all started with these 20-second videos on Vine, right? Yeah, and now, now you're stuck watching all of them. Oh, my God. It's like, you can't, <clears throat> like, literally, 1 o'clock in the morning yesterday. Next. <laughs> next. Next. Yeah. Next. Next. I was like, God damn. It's yeah. 1 o'clock. I got to be at work at 7. It's bad. Happens it's bad. To me. It happens to me with YouTube videos, too. Now I've kind of set myself on a timer where i'm like all right mm, midnight work. yeah that don't work midnight i have to log off i have to get off that don't work oh it's tough i literally it's look tough. at the clock and oh, i'm yeah. like all right i got one more and then before you know it i'm already 20 more deep it's bad it's <clears throat> oh bad. i know i do it all the time i do it at home all the time <laughs> it's bad so anyway um why don't we um move topics if something else lives in your head and you want to share that with us please do so send yes. us an email uh gay talk 20 at gay talk to gay talk 2.0 at gay talk 20.com um anyway um today i wanted to talk about you know um queer ownership and how we build equity in the queer community uh with spaces and businesses that are owned and operated by um members of our community and what and what the importance of that and what what is how that transcends in our community. And so I wanted to ask you, because you've been in our community for a very long time, what is the difference when you walk into an establishment that is um, constantly, uh, you know, a lot of patrons tend to be part of the community, but is not gay owned and operated versus the feeling that you get when you walk into an establishment that you know that the owners, employees, and everyone that's participating, or at least, you know, frequenting these spaces are part of the community. Like, what are your thoughts on that? I have two great examples for that. Sure. So <clears throat> the bar that I work at the door, occasionally, mm -hmm. owners are straight. Right. And it's, and, but it's a, you know, LGBT bar. Right. So you have that, you know, that they're allies and, and they're there for the support. Great. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a business and they're making money off, off of the LGBT community. Right. right. Um, if it, if it was a, you know, a gay owned or lesbian owned uh, establishment, more power they're, to them. They're you know? still making money but off of still the making, community. Yeah, right? they're I still mean, making money off the community. You're a business. But, you're in yeah. business to make money. Yeah. It just happens to so, be a gay space. Yeah, so that's, for me, good for them. I mean, right. they're providing some space. The other thing is, uh, for example, our friend that owns the deli, right? Right. Gay-owned, gay-operated. Gay, gay, gay but then again, that's a mixed crowd. Right. It's not necessarily It's a little gay, bit of yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so you have both, you, right. you experience both. Um, you feel a little more, um, at ease, right? I guess at times, especially, you know, for example, the deli, we know the owner and you go in and you can talk and, and, you know, express yourself. Yeah. You can queen out yes, if you want to and, right. and feel okay with it and not feel like there's going to be an issue with someone else right. necessarily all the time. But, you know, uh, and I don't say that at the bar you don't have that, but if one of the other owners is there, you're more aware of the situation. I I would say, you know right. what I mean, because their 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 take on the lifestyle isn't necessarily what we see. Right. You right. Know what I mean, see, for me, I, in my experience, I have always been very at ease in in spaces that I know are queer owned and queer operated mm -hmm. and queer centric versus walking into a restaurant that's very popular in the community where you get to experience a lot of people that are part of the community, but is not necessarily owned and operated. Owned and operated. Um, uh, you, because you, if something were to happen, chances There's are, you know, <laughs> you're, you're not going to receive that protection that you normally would in spaces that are, 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 specifically owned and operated and 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 there for us right and we have we were we have been fortunate to have two bars in our state actually three that are gay owned and operated um establishments and have been for decades yes and so when you walk into these places you know that you know um 
the owners have your best interest when it comes to feeling safe and providing protection and making sure that you know the the spaces that you're in are are safe for you yes. to enjoy and have go. a good time yeah right yeah. um you know you've got Shay Yes in Hartford you've got Partners Cafe in New Haven you have um 168 York Street mm-hmm. which are all owned by gay men and their spouses and their partners and the atmosphere is, is great. And then you have other spaces around the area that are gay friendly that with that a lot of gay patrons, you know, patronize. Like for example, you know, we had a drag brunch not so long yes. ago that we went to actually it was quite a while ago. It was, yeah. it was almost beginning of the ago. summer. <laughs> oh, it was this yeah, year, right? The beginning yeah. of the summer. Yeah. And so, you know, while they are accepting of the community and allow you to come in and use their spaces to do awesome funny things i don't feel the same sense of security in that space than i did uh than i do when i'm in spaces that are ours right yeah, remember point, the drag brunch was a great example of that right you had literally four four like <laughs> guys that walked in in the middle of a drag queen performing who happened to have an, a live microphone who sang who literally roasted them the moment they walked in because she clocked them quickly. I mean, these guys sat there and just started like being stupid about the whole thing immediately. The minute they walked in, they were already looking at people funny. They were right. their mannerisms alone. They didn't even have to speak. Right. It, they just you can tell. <laughs> I forgot what she like, called them, but it was funny. And um and and so so the reason why I I wanted to talk about this is because. One of the, the the main ways that we can um, have equity in how we live our lives, how we are represented in public spaces, in media, um, uh, whether that's social, whether that's news, whether that is programming, is to ensure that people who are going to curate your content are people who are part of the community that understands the diversity and the complexity of how we live our lives. And so we, as a show, like to talk about news. We talk a lot about, for example, um, different news sources, um, stories that happen you know, to members of our communities all over the U.S. and the world. And often we're getting sources um, you know, from, it used to be unicornbooty.com and um, which then ended up being um, Hornet Media or something like that. Um, but, you know, we also source things, for example, from uh, LGBTQ Nation and The Advocate. And um, yesterday, on the 18th, The Advocate, which is a very well-known resource and news publication um, for LGBTQ plus folks, announced that um, they have now been um, merged and acquired by another company who happens to be queer. It's owned by queer people, part of the community who are going to be doing great things. And so the the, the story basically talks about, you know, how the advocate is now going to be part of um, Equal Pride, which is the company um, that bought them. Um, the advocate and all of its assets have been acquired and are now operated by an LGBTQ plus certified company called Equal Pride, along with Out, Out Traveler, and Plus Magazine and Pride.com. The advocate is now part of this media giant, um, which is the leading LGBTQ plus voice reaching more than 90% of the queer media audience every month across digital, social, TV, print, experimental, and uh, exp- experiential and soon streaming on Advocate TV channel. There's actually going to be That's an Advocate awesome. TV yeah. channel, and and what does that mean for us as <clears throat> as queer people? It you it, know it puts us it puts us now definitely mainstream media. Right. Right. You know we have a definite source, which is awesome, and you know and, and so many sources, right? So and, many sources. And while we think about safety and 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 equity and ownership in bars or in places that are tangible for us that we can see, we often don't think about stories and how those stories of people are told. 
right by the sources that they're told you yes. can grab a, a gay story on on abc.com or you can go to you know your local paper.com and see a story written about you know something about our community and it could be completely insensitive or written in a way that has no real true understanding of what our community is like case in point in 2016 when pulse happened mm-hmm. the reporting by non-queer media was just horrible yeah horrible while the event in itself was just disgusting and heartbreaking compounding the fact that non-LGBTQ plus media entities don't know how to uh, address our community and understand our complexities. It was atrocious how some of these, like, you know, people were reporting stories. Not only reporting, but they also omit a lot of information. Right. That, that critical information. That, yeah. That that's critical to what you're reporting to, you know? Right. And yeah. you, and you think about, for example, when, you know, murders happen in our community Think about the transgender community, right? And how sometimes they don't even bother reporting it. They don't bother reporting it, or when they do, it's a snippet. (laughs) It's a snippet, or they omit important information, right? Someone's identity is important. Yeah. And so, if let's say you're a transgender person, the police is actually going to report that, you know, a man was shot and killed, blah, blah, blah. They would never say a transgender person, whether that was a woman or a man. They omit that kind of stuff versus when you're looking at publications and the sensitivity behind the media as it is covered by an LGBTQ plus entity. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, they tend to, I mean, if, if, for example, if you're trans and you live your life, you know, let's say as Lisa, right. Right. Um, non-LGBT news articles, they'll automatically go to your given name. Right. You know? Tom, or what we know Tom Ortiz as. known as Lisa in the community right. instead of addressing you the way you lived. Right. You know, so they're very insensitive in that, in that aspect. <clears throat> or think about, um, for example, how they reported on in the incident, um, you know, the, the horrible murder that was, you know, what happened to Matthew Shepard. Yes. And how that was reported, you know, way back in the nineties, it's, it's, it was tragic. And, um, the fact that we had to wait 20 plus years for him to finally have a final resting spot and how that was covered was also very concerning. Yes. So to see a huge uh, media conglomerate like, um, you know, um, Equal Pride acquire the advocate and start growing this amazing organization that's actually going to be able to report um, on our community the way it should be is, is really amazing. You know, and I think that this is how we build equity and this is how we tell our stories the right way. Absolutely. You know, and obviously shows like this, right. We, we talk about who we are as, as people. Um, and you can't rely on other people to tell those stories for you. Right. And if you don't tell them who will exactly. Yeah. And if they do, are they going to be true? You know, so so congratulations to the advocate. I continue to, you know, use their website and constantly read all of their stories because I think, you know, uh, it is important to stay on top of what is going on in our community, which is why we do the show to begin with. And having them um, grow and continue to grow is, is really amazing to see. So that's that. That's that. That was good. That's yeah. an amazing. That's an amazing acquirement too. It I mean, is. It is, and it's, it's, it's great. And and, and and as you see, they're growing. They're slowly growing, right. and then, you know, they're they're to the point now where they're newsworthy. Right, and <laughs> you know, the advocate has been a trusted source for yeah. news and 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 community and culture for decades. I mean, Absolutely. I remember reading about the advocate. Twenty five years ago, when I first headed to the bar, you would pick up yeah. the magazines, and yeah. you know, there it is. So, um, yeah, it is important. So, um, we're gonna take a break because uh, I need a break. Um, because you know I've been talking for thirty nine minutes, and when we come back, we've oh. got a couple of more stories uh, to share with you, and um, then we'll wrap it up. All right, welcome back from the break. Thank you so much for allowing us to take that little refresher, refresh our little, you know. Drinky poos. Drinky poos and, <laughs> and do all that good stuff. But we are back. Um, that was a very interesting first half. It was. We covered a lot of ground. A lot of ground. A lot of <laughs> Quite ground. Quite a bit. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I'm and, proud of that. And hooray for the advocate because that's that's awesome. For I, I think it's going to be great, yeah. and yeah. you know, I can only see that it's only going to be great things um, for them as they grow uh, with this new company, uh, along with all the other publications and and different media sources they have. So, absolutely good for them. So during the first half, we had talked about, you know, what lives in my head. And we we're talking about this person um, who just walks up to randos and says, let, you know, how much you pay rent and let me tour your apartment. Some Jeffrey Dahmer shit. So <laughs> speaking of Jeffrey Dahmer, I want to talk a little bit about a story that uh, was published again on. Um, it's important to note that uh, the, this story was part of The Advocate, um, again, talking about sensitive topics. Um, on Netflix, Dahmer, you know, the mother of uh, victim Tony Hughes is speaking out against the series saying that, um, you know, what they're depicting in the series wasn't really actually what happened, um, according to to the mother. Uh, and um, a lot of people are having a very rough time understanding how they could, for example, take such a polarizing character and someone who did so much harm to members of our community and creating a series focusing on this individual, right? And um, and then to make matters even worse, using publicly available testimony, uh, because these are public records. You got to remember that when they had the trial to convict Jeffrey Dahmer, um, these are all a matter of public records. And so they were using these accounts and testimony to write the show and to make it as close to the story as possible to the point where they even reenacted um, word for word a scene in where a sister of one of his victims loses it in court and literally just like loses it. And what they did was is they put a side by side of the actual footage from the court and um and footage from the actual episode, and it is uncannily identical um, to how these people reacted. And so people are really having some strong feelings of the fact that um, not only are a lot of people saying, you know, this is a really good show, it's obviously it's one of Netflix's biggest uh, releases in, in a long time. You know, the the streaming giant says... Um, that the amount of, of downloads that they've gotten and interest in the show is great, but you know, at what expense, right? Yeah. Again, should my, my question is this, should this have been made and made in the point of view from the point of view that they chose to do it from his rather than the actual victims? <clears throat> uh, right. Because, you have to be careful with that. Cause in, in a way it, it can almost look like he's being idolized. Right. 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 So they're trying to see it from his point of view, I guess. Um, but it can also be led to believe that they're kind of being insensitive yeah, being to the insensitive. families. I mean, we're talking about people that died yeah. at the hands of this, this serial killer. Yeah, I'm, I'm like skimming through, <laughs> through the, through the article itself. And, um, uh, what caught my eye, um, an early review of the show in British GQ echoed these sentiments, saying that the show was a little more than sluggish torture porn. It's it's so that's, that's it's it's, I, it's there's been a lot of controversy. Yeah, so, yeah. for example, um, th this this the mother of Tony Hughes herself said, you know, I don't see how they can use names and putting out that stuff out there like that. Um, you know, she found it difficult to to continue talking. She just simply hung up on the person that she was talking to. But, you know, Hughes himself was an aspiring model who um, was 31 years old when he was murdered by Dahmer in 1991. He lost his hearing as a child. Uh, he was nonverbal uh, in, um, and communicated through writing or sign language. And that was definitely depicted in the show. The episode that, that Hughes shows up in actually is called Silenced. And, um, you know, despite the backlash, this particular episode, which was partially written by the Pose writer and director and frequent um, 
And uh, frequent Ryan Murphy collaborator, uh, Janae Mock, has generated praise for the sensitivity and the nuances portraying Hughes, who is played by a deaf actor. So they actually chose a deaf actor to play him. Um, And so they, you know, so basically what they're trying to say is, okay, listen, we try to be sensitive to the fact that um, we're talking about a serial killer, right? But we're also telling the story of Jeffrey Dahmer, right? If there was no Jeffrey Dahmer, this show wouldn't be what it is, right? It's like no different than saying, for example, House of the Dragon wouldn't be a show if dragons weren't in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And because honestly, House Targaryen on its own without dragons, like Rhaenyra says, you know, Targaryens without dragons are just like everybody else. Just like everybody else. Yeah. And so, so I understand from that aspect why Ryan Murphy and those that, that, you know, collaborated on this project decided to focus on Jeffrey Dahmer. But the question then becomes, you know, like, to what point do we sensationalize something without having regard for how that's going to make people who are living today that had to go through that in real life? Yeah, so they're right. re- re-traumatizing. Pretty much. Re-traumatizing. In a sense. Yeah. And, you know, will I watch the show? I don't know. Have I watched it? No. Me um, Do I want to watch it? I- I'm conflicted. I don't know because, you know, as a writer, Ryan Murphy has given us amazing content to show Pose, right? Brought out the community, um, you know, the, the ballroom community and really gave us an amazing, beautiful, you know, four four seasons of, of, of fantastic actresses who just played their hearts out. And when you talk about casting, you know, like being sensitive to the fact that you were playing gay characters, that you were playing transgender women and you were casting people in those roles who lived in that truth. Yeah. That was important. And so the man has given us a lot of great things in our community, but you know, would we say this is one of them and how do we feel about that? Right. It's a touchy feeling. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's a touchy, a touchy subject. feeling. Um, I mean, a lot of times when you see stories like this, or at least when we were growing up, the stories like this were usually, you know, 30, 40, I would probably say 40, 50 years right. after they had occurred. So a lot of the times uh, people that were affected by it most likely weren't either watching it or alive at that time. Right. You know what right. I mean? So I, I, I kind of see that. It, yeah. I mean, Tony Hughes, he, he was murdered in 1991. Yeah. Yeah. That's recent. Well, for us, it's still recent, right? Um, shit. That was like almost three decades ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's but, be serious. Yeah. But to us, that was still recent. You know right. what I mean? So it, it's, it's tough. I mean, there's still family that's still grieving right. that loss. Of course. And it was such a tragic loss. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, you know, it was an accident. Uh, so so it, it's tough, especially when a show is put out and then it's a hit show. Right. Because people want to watch. We have right. that we have that uh uh that need to see some sort of violence or death in a movie because right. it kinda you know or to, brings to, some to sort in of some way yeah. because what this this show has done is reintroduce the events of what Dahmer was, what yeah. he represented and what he did. Right to a whole new generation, right? True. Yeah, we know what Jeffrey Dahmer was about, but I guarantee you, someone born 10, 15 years ago had no idea who Jeffrey Dahmer was, exactly. You know, and so the reintroduction into um, our into the social element and to this generation, um, in, in a sense, I don't know, it's I'm very conflicted about yeah, this. I, I think it, it tries, in a sense, it tries to humanize, right. His barbarianism. He was was savage. He was a fucking savage. I mean, if that was to happen this week, where someone is found out and they have X amount of bodies in their property, nobody's going to be, you know, trying to look at the bright side on it. It, This guy's a freaking savage. I mean, I can understand if they were doing a documentary, right? If this was a documentary and they're trying to, but it's fact based at that time. And it's, and it's not trying to give a light, a lighter side, on, on, on this person committing these heinous crimes. Right. But you also have to understand that a lot of what they're depicting in these episodes and in this series is facts-based. Yeah. And the issue the family has is they were allowed to use their names and 
specific information that was covered, which is now public knowledge because it's public record, right? It, yeah. Court proceedings, uh, things that happen in government, those are all public records. And once they're litigated, you can't undo that. You can't like say, no, you don't, you can't have access to that. It's not like this is classified information. You can go into, you know, court records and pull up details of what, you know, for example, a police officer wrote in his report yeah. or an investigator wrote in this report and use that as material because that's not copyrighted material. It's public record, public record. Yeah. You know? And so that's the issue that the family has. And then the question becomes, do they have a point? Right. Should, litigation like this that could be very traumatizing um reliving experiences should information like that not be allowed or at least be protected in some way shape or form uh, from ever being used in sensationalized you know documentaries or or movies or whatever i, I mean see I, I i would have to say when you're not affected right when right. you're not directly affected or impacted by certain events, right. you tend to have a, a less, um, what do you call, a, a, your opinion isn't as, as severe as someone who has been directly impacted, right. Right? right? So, I mean, your feelings aren't the same. You know, there's a whole course of, of, of situations and feelings and, and things that are going on. Mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately, I mean, yes, uh, you know, this happened, um, but the feeling in the the family may have been dealing with other issues that are not, you know, right. part of these proceedings. Um, so you don't know the whole history behind it. Right. Um, so again, you know, uh, um, the fact that this came up could also bring up other issues within the families that, you know, the courts weren't privy to and producers weren't privy to. And, and, and it can rehash and again, re-traumatize people right. because of the way things happen. It's, um, it's 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 tough it's a tough cookie because you want to hear the truth right you want to hear right. what the actual information is but there are documentaries that exist to tell yeah. you exactly what was done what was documented but but in, in a sense this is just showing you how how he lived his life how he lived his or, or a portrayal of how right. he lived his and, life and right? why why do we as a, a human race need to know that yeah right and the Just fact that. that this is such a hit show and Netflix is making buku dollars for the streaming um, for offering this as as a, a choice for you to watch on their network uh, is it's pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, to say the least. So but it's what's selling. Look at, so, look at the popularity it has. Stop telling people how much you pay for rent and stop letting people into your apartment that you don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. So. All right. Um, moving on. One of the last stories that we have is probably, um, you know, something that I wasn't aware of. You know, when we think about um, the history of modern history of the LGBTQ plus rights movement, we typically talk about Stonewall and we talk about, you know, how that was the catalyst for us to just say enough is enough. Uh, but before Stonewall, LGBTQ people rose up at a place called the Black Knight Bar, um, and according to this news source, um, will soon uh, be a historical landmark. Nice. You know, and uh, an individual um, who is a self-proclaimed queen, Josie Walker said, uh, quote, we didn't start anything, but we sure the hell was going, we were going to finish it. And basically, what ended up happening was that um, this individual, Josie Carter, was re recollecting, you know, what happened the night of August 5th, 1961. So this was nine years before eight, the events or, or eight, eight years, years before, before the Stonewall events of riots. Stonewall. Yeah. Um, basically, he was recollecting and saying that, you know, um, in, in 19 on August 5th, 1961. Uh, Milwaukee's Black Knight Gate Bar rose up against a mob of Navy enlisted men in what would become the first recorded uprising of LGBTQ plus people in the U.S. Eight years before Stonewall, Carter convinced the bar's patrons to fight back after a group of sailors uh Sailors were, uh, were refused entry and vowed to return in great numbers. The ensuing confrontation came to be known as the Black Knight Brawl. 
Uh, in the aftermath of that, one service member and two patrons were hospitalized, while three of the Navy men were charged with disorderly conduct. Another dozen who joined in at the invitation of the bar um, were sought out by police, according to contemporary accounts in the Milwaukee Journal. At a hearing on October 5th this year, the Milwaukee County Landmark Committee set in motion uh, a designation to honor uh, the since-demolished tavern as a historical landmark. And I think that, you know, again, leave it to LGBTQ plus media to take stories like this and tell us in a way that is um appropriate right we're talking about the experience of someone who's a self-proclaimed queen um who's accounting you know recounting what happened um it's it's pretty telling and it's interestingly enough that you know this is not something that we often speak about right and it it, what what you want to keep in mind is that remember that in the 60s even before, you know, Stonewall and even during Stonewall, there were a lot of laws on the books that considered people from our community, especially gay men, lesbian women, to be mentally ill. And so for you to freely hold hands with someone of the same sex was a no-no because you could get arrested, you can get institutionalized, there many things could happen, right? You can get accosted, you can get attacked. Um, so the Black Knight Brawl, uh, you know, basically brought forth that struggle and some closeted patrons feared that as a result of that um that they would be arrested you know the summer before police beat a man uh, to death in a nearby cruising area and a trans woman uh, where trans women were regularly stopped by cops for violating anti-cross-dressing laws milwaukeeans at the time were required to wear at least three items of clothing that matched their sacks and i'm like Okay. (laughs) Do you see what I'm talking about? So, I mean, if you were a drag queen, you had to make sure that you had what men's underwear, you wear men's socks, and and maybe I don't know a a wife beater under it, you know, like a tank top, and say, "Oh, look, here's my three pieces of clothing. Don't arrest me." Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. So it just goes to show, you know, our struggle as a community. Uh, didn't start in 1969, and while we use that as a catalyst to talk about modern gay rights and and gay history, uh, there's been a lot of incidences in the past that you know I was completely oblivious to. I mean, I know of a couple, um, but the, but this is new. And, yeah, but, and, and stuff like this is is what needs to be reported and brought up and and right. and taught because these are you know these are historical important historical events in the LGBTQ community. Um, you know, again, you read about it and you're like, wow, you know, that that's amazing. And, and the way it went down and the way they stepped up and they were like, fuck this. Right. You know what I mean? The hell with this. This is bullshit. We're, we're getting torn apart. Right. right. You know, because of these nonsense laws and, and homophobic individuals. Right. And it's worth noting, I need to correct myself, that uh, this self-proclaimed queen josie carter carter uh actually identifies as trans so um she basically said you know quote this is a remarkable a remarkable story for a trans woman of color to have changed history the way um you know that she did especially because she exhibited throughout her life so much in midwestern modesty that no one would have ever guessed that she really did um, you, you know, did this. Um, it shows that when people take stand, regardless of the risk and consequences, they can change history. Yes. And it is true. So, bravo. And, you know, sadly, they did mention in the story that this, this small little tavern was demolished. But nonetheless, the fact that it's going to be designated a historical landmark, it's, it's huge. Yeah. Awesome. You know, and especially in a city like Milwaukee. I mean, when you think about Milwaukee and all the things that are happening in middle America, you know, and, you know, the catalyst for the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, all the, the people that have died as a result of, you know, violence against black people from people who were sworn to protect and serve. It's exactly. it's disturbing yeah. because the whole purpose of the riot in New York was to free themselves from the oppression of the police department and the unnecessary raids and the attacks that they were receiving over and over and over again. And so it's interesting. 
to say the least. Yeah, and you know the way that it it turned out, and again that that whole event triggered cultural awakening, according to the article. You know, by 1982, Wisconsin became the first state in the nation to bar discrimination based on sexual orientation in the in employment and housing. So you know, twenty years later, but it took that event to set. Uh, to set this stuff in motion and you know just like everything else they tend to drag their feet when it comes to passing laws and right. and providing equal opportunities for everyone which is unfortunately uh, our great nation's uh slow slow progression but at this point you know those those are those are laws that not only are afforded to everyone in in Wisconsin but nationwide right. Right. And, you know, it's wor- worth noting that in the story, <clears throat> they basically in the story, it's the same that once um, this particular establishment gets their their um, designation, that they will become, uh, according to the story, the country's first ever LGBTQ plus landmark. And I don't think that's correct because Obama designated the Stonewall Stonewall, a national landmark um, before he left office. And so, you know, he left what in 2016. Yeah. So I, I don't know about that, but nonetheless, this is, I'm not taking away from the importance of this, this event no, highlighting that it happened, you know, eight years before Stonewall. So, um, and whether Stonewall was first or this was first, it's equally as impressive and amazing to have the kind of recognition that uh, they're about to receive. So bravo to them. Bravo. That's insane. <laughs> all right. Well, um, that is all we have on today's show, unless you have anything else you would like to share with us. No, we're good. Yeah. Don't have any we're, more things living uh, rent free in, in, in your. No, that's, I, don't want, I don't want to take uh, Trisha's uh, position on that. On another note, no. <laughs> On another note, right? Um, well, that's cool. All right, so uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into some of our closing items. For example, Mama Kim's Minute and On This Day Get History. Do you want me to take Mama Kim? Sure. Okay. Well, um, today on Mama Kim's Minute, these are stories, again, curated by our amazing mother, um, you know, our designated mother, Mama Kim, uh, that she shares with us so that we can share with you. Story number one uh, of Mama Kim's Minute, Outdem Robert Zimmerman wants to be a warrior for LGBTQ rights in Congress. Story number two, meet the woman that was jailed three times for bringing cannabis brownies to AIDS patients. And finally, a gay couple's pride flag was burned in a hateful act, but their neighborhood or neighbors rallied in support. These are three stories that will be posted on tonight's post, and you can click on them and read them um, and enjoy them. So I'm going to move it over to our good friend Jay for Understanding Gay History. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And today, October 19th, 1998, we're in New York City. Matthew Shepard political funeral march held. The upper and the unpermitted march appoints marshals and negotiation and negotiators who stand ready to work with police as they have as they have at other similar events. Five thousand people arrived at the 59th Street and Fifth Avenue, across from the Plaza Hotel. Many more than anticipated, and police responded violently, arresting marshals and negotiators and pushing the crowd back with billy clubs. Wow! And you know, when you think about that happening, um, it it can it just goes to show you how how affected the 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 nation was by the passing of Matthew Shepard and how that all went down. Yeah, then they were expecting, most likely probably expecting a couple hundred people to show right. up and then yeah. they showed up. By I the mean, this was a brutal slaps. murder yeah. when yeah. you think about it, you know, and, and it would be, I think if I'm not mistaking 20, 21 years, this past um, October 7th, that he would have officially passed away. So, um, you know, and as you know, now, no, he, his body rests. His remains are permanently resting at the national, um, the national cathedral in Washington, DC. So, all right. Well, thank you for that, mister. Okay. Well, if you love the show, 
to all of my peoples out there, make sure that you go subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcasting service. By doing so, you get the latest and greatest of our show delivered right to your favorite device or web browser as soon as our episodes are published. You can also support us on Patreon, which allows you, our listeners, to support the show with a monetary donation, which we collect monthly and can be in any denomination of a dollar or more. I'm tossing it over to Jay. And next week, we welcome Dr. G for this month's G-Spot. That's right. You and officially gave him that name. Yeah, And we're excited. You know. <laughs> and, and I know we're going to be doing his interview first. First. Right. So instead of the second portion of the That's show. right. Okay. We're going to be opening the show with Dr. G because our date change. Remember, we used to record on Mondays. We now record on Wednesdays. Sort of kind of doesn't work for everyone. And we have to be, you know, flexible. And so, yeah, we're going to have him on the first half of the show. And then we'll go and do the dish afterwards, um, which may end up working well for us. So so we're going to start with the G-spot. That's right. (laughs) We're going to start tickling that G-spot with our favorite doctor. So, um, okay. Well, hooray for Dr. G. Ooh, excuse me. Speaking of Dr. G, uh, you can get out there and get the future method today. Each time that you clean out with water or enemas, delicate tissues are harmed and cells are damaged, increasing increasing your chances of injury and or STDs. This is the first of its kind doctor developed formula gently cleanses you before you play without hurting your your bum. You can visit futuremethod.com to purchase your life-changing bum cleanser today uh, but that's not the only products he has so go to futuremethod.com and take a look at the array of availability of uh, amazing products oh, that great products dr g brings to you so um all right j bear and as we come to a closing i guess we're gonna put a ring on it is it only one ring just one ring oh. at least for today mm. <laughs> go for it and our show is available on our website GayTalk20.com on their audio podcast. It is also available as a free download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. She's got a lot to read today. You can find us on social media, Facebook at GayTalk2.0, Instagram, GayTalk2.0, Twitter at GayTalk20, and you can email us at GayTalk2.0 at GayTalk20.com. Yes, queen. All right. And if you need to reach out to us, you can just head on over to our website, click on the Contact Us tab. It's located at the top of the web browser. There, you can leave comments and just topics, submit a question for the cast, or an individual host. You can also call us and leave us a voice message with any questions you may have. We may answer those for you on the show. So the phone number is 334 Gay talk. I always say that with a juicy undertone. Yes. Tweet, 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 tweet. Three, three, four. Gay talk. Or if you need all those digits, it is three, three, four or two, nine, eight, two, five, five. Don't forget that we do stream live every Wednesday <laughs> starting at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can access that live stream by visiting digitalstreamradio.com. I want to thank you all for joining us on today's show. Thank my co-host Jay for being amazing. And uh, y'all have a good night. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gay Talk 2.0. Tune in next time for more Dish.